0: Hello, and welcome back to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. We welcome leaders and non-leaders alike tuning in. Appreciate you being here. Uh, You know, our audience is certainly growing, so I might even welcome uh, some of the younger generation, our high school kids, since we've had some high school kids, uh, as guests on the show. And we've interviewed a couple of principals, and we actually have a principal today, but before I get into that, per tradition, i like to mention a little bit about our background and our history and why we're here. Uh, the Rooted Leadership Podcast is part of Groundwork, a leadership institute, which was started a couple of years ago. And the goal was to raise the tide of leaders in our community to really build leaders from the ground up. That sounds cliche, but it's what we're aiming to do. And we believe that it's important work in our community. We think that strong leaders at the community level are what solves some of our biggest problems and takes advantage of some of our biggest opportunities that we have if you look at our country right now uh, leaders at a local level are huge they're important they're key from every industry from business community from government to education which is government right but all the way down to churches uh, and financial institutions uh, and all the leaders in between. So, we know that leaders are important. And so, we started this leadership institute to help develop them, to give them the resources that they need, to give our community the resources that it needs to create strong leaders now and for many years to come. So, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, I'm happy to be the host of this podcast. I'm happy to be the director of our institute here. I learn so much more from the leaders that come through our institute than they'll probably ever learn from me. In fact, I never claim to be an expert in leadership. We never claim to be experts here, but we believe that housing as much knowledge and information as possible is what makes this institute what it is. Hence, we started this podcast to learn as much as we can from leaders all over, locally and nationally. So, our guest today, let me give him a brief introduction. Dear friend, I say that about a lot of our guests, and it's true, I just have the opportunity to have dear friends uh, that are doing wonderful things, uh, and I'm blessed that way. But this individual, his name is Steve Spencer, and I met Steve actually back when I worked at the Arbinger Institute. And so, when he gets on, we'll allow him to kind of share uh, a little bit of that history as well, and I'll add my two cents. But Steve has done some remarkable work at his high school. Uh, here, he's a principal at a local high school, and he's developed. And we're going to get into this in the episode, so I'm not going to give away too much of the information. But he 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 developed what is now called the Promise, where they deliver a promise to the kids in their school, and now in the entire district that has just really spread and gone viral in some. Cases we produced a video, actually a short. It's kind of like a mini documentary on this school because it was so incredible of what happened, and uh, so that that's actually enough to introduce Steve. There's going to be so much more that we get into, but I've I've been excited for this episode for a while. We've had it on the docket for a couple of months. Been looking forward to it. Hope you do as well. I'm gonna grab Salam Noor, our co-host, and. Steve, our guest, and I'll be back here in one second.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org.
0: All right, we're back with uh, Steve Spencer, uh, our guest on Zoom as well as our co-host Salam Noor. So, welcome to the both of you.
1: Thank you Chris. It's good to be with you. Yeah. Thank you Chris and happy new year.
0: Yeah, happy new year. This is our first recorded episode in 2021. Um now sometimes I say that be I say that uh out loud because sometimes we will record an episode and actually release it before others so (laughs) we may release an episode before this one actually uh, is released but this is our first official episode 2021 and I wish you guys could be in studio uh, with me here but you know due to COVID implications we make do and and Zoom actually has been working out just fine. Salam, we've done several of these on Zoom and they tend to go really well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that could be the promise of 2021 is that we do these in person, in studio, live.
0: Yeah. And I, I was looking forward, Steve, for you to be here in studio. You're not too far away. So I, I was looking forward to it. But maybe we'll have a round two later on in the year.
2: I'm sure to willing to get into any place that has people. So that's a good thing. Yeah, a golden...
0: Well, we've done some episodes uh, in here during the pandemic but we've been all masked up and it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> and it, and so uh, these actually on Zoom tend to be just fine because we can still see each other. And although our guests are just listening to our audio, it's nice for us to carry a conversation. So, Well, uh, like I mentioned, Steve, I introduced you a little bit in the introduction for today's show, but uh, I didn't say a whole lot because once I get going about you or what you're doing I can just keep going so I had to stop myself but I had mentioned you know you and I actually met back when I worked at Arbinger uh, at the Arbinger Institute you um came to uh, one of our trainings and you went through facilitator training and and on from my perspective you became one of you know my my clients that I was working with and then you know all of the whole story be- behind me coming up here happened and I got to work you know literally closer to you uh in proximity and and was still able to carry on a a relationship um but what i love most about you know the story behind um uh, you know your leadership and the promise is that it's not like anybody was holding your hand or telling you what to do you you had the tools and then you ran with it and i think that that's part of the magic of of what happened there and in the intro i mentioned the promise uh very briefly so uh You know when you get into any of that, feel free to take it wherever you'd like, but that was my intro to you. I had mentioned that you are a principal of a local high school here uh and that you're a dear friend to me so uh from there, why don't you go ahead and 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 take it you know introduce yourself you know listeners won't know you know just speak as if nobody knows anything about you and tell us about yourself yeah. and what you do and why you do it.
2: Well, uh, first, I'll say where, what I'm most proud of, um, and that is that I am happily married to my wife, Linda, and we have five boys, four of which I have been able to be the principal when they graduated. And uh, to, to have them shake my hand and give me a hug walking across the stage is pretty great. And I look forward to my last son coming into the high school next year. Um, I'm not sure they have always agreed that it's great to have their father be a principal, but... Um, it's been a joy to have, um, them in the building where I go to work each day. Um, I have been a principal now, this is my 10th year here at Dallas high school. And prior to that, I was a, a middle school principal here at lock at Loch here in Dallas. Um, I really am kind of a born and bred Dallas person. Um, way back in my history, I went to elementary school here in the town. My parents, um, were long time folks here and uh, but I moved away and graduated from Tillamook High School and that was again a great experience and um, came back to this area really because I went to school at Western and um, just the way life kind of just happened to be, this is where I ended up and I'm grateful for that because it's given me some connection to the community and to the families um, that are more historical my roots so um, I think that part's important and I'll allude to that maybe a little bit down the road, but having that connection and that sense of belonging into a community, is I think really important, um, in that leadership aspect of the things that you're trying to accomplish with an organization.
0: Yeah. Well, what got you into, um, into education and what was kind of, what put you on that path?
2: Okay, well, this might be a story that you don't know much about, Chris, because I I haven't probably shared this much, but um, it was a coaching experience, coaching baseball when I was 16. And a friend of mine and I, we coached little kids in the YMCA, and it was just that absolute love of the game, but also working with kids. And so I knew that that's a direction that I wanted to go. Um, It took me a while to kind of get the academics under control and and on a career path, but um, getting into the coaching aspect and teaching—I've you know, always loved science, and so getting to do experiments and get paid for it was kind of fun. So passing that love of science and learning on and coaching was was just part of my uh, upbringing and, and desire for a career.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I didn't know that that origin about you, but you reminded me of uh, of something that just happened this weekend when you said that you know you, you developed this this desire to you know work with kids and kind of help them grow uh, really kind of cute moment on saturday night um, my son well it started out not being a cute moment but there was a cute moment in the hospital he was jumping on the bed he's 3 he's almost 4 in april and uh, with his sister right before bedtime and the, the classic you know jumping on the head bonking his head <laughs> and he actually fell back onto the windowsill and cracked his his head open, split it open about you know two and a half inches, uh, really deep, you know, about to the skull. And and so obviously we had to go to the hospital and and get him all uh, stapled up and whatnot. But I'm sitting in the ER with him, and it was just me in there, and he's sitting on my lap, and and the nurses, you know, he was no longer crying, and he was kind of just being himself. But the nurses came in and were teasing him, and and Asking him what he wanted to be when he grew up and and they were saying maybe you'll be a doctor one day because he was very curious of why they were working so late. And they said, Well, we gotta make a living. And they said, One day you'll have to do the same thing. Maybe you'll be a doctor, he they said. And then Mateo, my son, you know, this little three year old, he says, Nope, I'm not gonna be a doctor. <laughs> and they're like, Well, what are you gonna do? And I this is why I liked this moment because I didn't know what he was gonna say. He said, I wanna be a dad. <laughs> and then he said, I also I like to work with kids. <laughs> I'm like, you know, he's a three year old, but he says I like to work with kids, so I want to work with kids. So uh, it's kind of a you know proud moment to see that he he has some priorities that I didn't know about. But um, the working with kids part was was kind of fun to hear, because um, although I'm not in education, I do enjoy some of my work that allows me to work with you know younger generations, and so it's kind of fun to hear my <laughs> my three year old has a similar uh goal there ambition um but back to your back to your your uh intro here um you know let's maybe maybe a good place to start because i I don't want to miss anything in this the idea behind this promise you know and i mentioned in the intro that we produced the we helped produce a video you know basically a short film a mini documentary on on the school and it would, we barely scratch the surface in there. I mean, there's so much missing, um, of just great work that you guys have done, but maybe you can start back to where we first met, you know, uh, through the Arbinger Institute and kind of tell us your thinking behind, um, you know, everything that led up to the promise and the impact that, that it had on you and your leadership.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think I've been asked this question a number of times, and it feels like I start at a different place almost each time, depending on on the audience. But the reality is that you know I've been a principal for a number of years, and it it just seemed like we were consistently getting the same results year in and year out. We'd have some success, and then we kind of fall back, and um, and that's just the way it was. It just seemed like everything we were doing was kind of status quo, and um, I received a, a phone call from Christy Perry, a superintendent of Salem Kaiser school district one day and saying, Hey, we've got an extra opening for a paid slot. That's already, it's already taken care of. And you want to go to this training. And, uh, I just jumped at it. I didn't even know what it was. It was just kind of one of those things where I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go do this. And this is oh, by the way, it's two days. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, well, all right. I'll give the first day a shot. Kind of see how it goes. And, and that was the first time that Mountain West um, group had pulled together the, the two-day Arbinger training yeah, that was in our first, Salem.
0: That was our first one ever.
2: Yeah. And so I, you know, I get to be the kind of that guinea pig sitting in the front row, kind of wide-eyed and not really knowing what in the heck this is all about, or even the purpose of what brought it into Salem. And so I just remember getting to the point where I had had some things that were happening in the building. Um, even right up until the previous week, where I was behaving in a way that it—it it was just frustrating, and I was short with my temper, and just things were not happening well. And and then I go to this training, and and all of a sudden it's just this grand awakening of I'm not listening to people. Um, I I've got no idea what the needs are of people that are around me, and it was just kind of this. Eye-opening opportunity that oh my gosh! Not only do I need day one of this thing, but I got to make sure I come back for day two Hmm. to start applying some of the tools that are so adequately taught. And from the get-go, from coming back, it opened up conversations and it opened up opportunities for me to simply share some of the things that I had felt and heard, and um, it, it was the beginning, really of what ultimately I'll say is a transformation of leadership, but a transformation of self. And I think that part is maybe the the key morsel of it all is that you can have leaders that are effective and you can have leaders that are ineffective, but ultimately when it comes right down to it, I'm the only one that can control myself. And I knew that I needed to do some changing based on what I had been taught. And, And that I think has been kind of the grounding factor or foundation for me, for really the next few years of professional growth and for building growth and for student growth and success and how we treat people here at Dallas high school. Um, that is a really quick snapshot of that opportunity of that experience, but, but it led to additional desire to learn more and to facilitate and to learn how to facilitate this material with, with not just um, the administrators in our in our building or the district, but to teach the teachers and have the teachers be able to apply this for students, with the ultimate goal of having students receive this training to be able to train each other and to support each other. And you know, gosh, if it wasn't for this darn COVID thing, I was really excited with the direction the kids were going. But it has been tough to keep that plate spinning a little bit um, during this year where we haven't had them in person
0: yeah and we've had just some context for listeners. you know any listeners that are returning, you obviously have heard a lot about outward mindset in other episodes um if this is one of your first episodes of listening, I encourage you to go back and listen to We have several episodes on outward mindset and the work that's happening in our community, you know um as it pertains to outward mindset, but uh you you know this whole origin story of the promise, it, you know, was kind of sp- sparked by your experience with Outward Mindset. I know that, Steve, and your your personal um, experience, like you said, um, it starts with changing uh, yourself. And that was your strongest realization is there's all sorts of changes that, that I would like to see, um, but it starts with me. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that now, you know, as we look in our world, there's a lot of changes that we wish we could that we wish would happen right right away, but it starts with individuals changing themselves, so I think that's a powerful message just in your introduction there. But take us to um you know kind of the next the next phase you're in the You're in the schools just a few years ago, you're in your school, you're training some of your staff you yeah, and, and this material is really helpful, but I, I know you know, just being a part of that myself, kind of being a fly on the wall that you were searching for something kind of deeper, like, how are we going to connect this to things that are more lasting? So it's not just a training, but it's something more foundational. Tell us kind of what got you to that point and then what happened thereafter.
2: Right. So I'm going to throw in a, just a number and that number is a graduation percentage. Um, I think it was in the low 70s, maybe 74%. And that was our graduation rate. And it seemed like that's what people talk about. They talk about a number and each year a new number comes out. Um, That meant absolutely nothing to anybody. And yet we knew that that number needed to change and that that number had people behind it. I think that's really the realization that started to help get some grassroots efforts going forward um, in terms of change here in the building at the high school. We knew that there was a name behind the number. We knew that there was a strength of an individual that was behind the number, that there was a need that was behind that number, and that there were things that we could do, whether it was in an individual classroom, whether it was um, in the building as a whole, administratively. We knew that there were some things that we could do to adjust in order to be um, more helpful for that student. And... And if we were willing to do that, it became a lot easier knowing the the person behind that decision. And so I worked with counselors, I worked with administrators, and we really worked at kind of talking through some procedural changes and structural changes to our bell schedule and, and course offerings to provide that resource and support for students. And so we had an advisory group model that you know elementary teachers would look at it and say well that's just like my homeroom and that's exactly what it is but to be assigned a teacher that is going to be your mentor for 4 years in high school and to walk you through everything and to keep track of you and to support you and to know what your needs and concerns are that that's really what led to the development of that promise that that every student in Dallas high school is going to be known by name. They're going to be known by their strength. They're going to be known by their needs. And there is not going to be one person that we don't know something about because, because we had had a staff meeting where a name was brought up and said, okay, who knows this person? And, and not a hand went up and we didn't know anything about them. And that's just not okay. And so it's a lot easier to look at a number of people that don't graduate or that are dropouts and cast them aside if you don't know who they are. But once we know the name, there's not anything that we wouldn't do to go forward and do our best. We treat them like our own kids. And, it, and while that still seems really simple, it's real. And it's part of that transformative cultural change that, that we know that there are people and those people matter to us. And we're going to do everything we can to support them. Um, so kind of moving forward with that, we just continued to try out that advisory group model. And we met as a staff, we trained, we talked. And in going forward, it was, it was rough that first year. Some of those seniors or juniors that had kind of been in the system for a long time, they don't like change and, and didn't really understand what it was we were trying to do. But as we have morphed our way through this, um, I'll give you a, maybe a quick story to, to recap this. I made a couple of decisions over the summer because of some staffing to switch some advisory group teachers. And, and that was some of the most angry phone calls I got from parents saying, how dare you? My kid has been with this teacher for four years and you're taking their advisory group teacher away. It wasn't that I was going to deny him uh, um, an AP class or, or something like that, that you think would be really critical. It was they've developed a relationship with this teacher and that is wow. the most important thing to them right now.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Really Steve, I'm, I'm, Go ahead, Salam.
1: Uh, thank you, Chris. Um, Steve, I'm, I'm curious. You've mentioned this twice now that this is, this was transformational for you as Steve, the person and not just the leader. So how did you go about making this transformational for every staff member at Dallas high school? In order for it to be transformational for the students, as you as you described, because mm-hmm. quite often we experience um, there are moments where we have these deep experiences, but we know how to affect ourselves, but we have a difficult a difficult time or a challenging time affecting others. So, could you talk about the journey that you went on to make this transformative to everybody else that you work with?
2: Sure. You know, I, I think that maybe one of the little leg ups I might have had in this process is that um, as a principal of the high school, I was I was once a teacher here. And so I've known a lot of the people here for a long time, and they've kind of seen me at my best and at my worst. And we, we just know each other. Um, but in doing that, I think people are able to at least know the character and where I've been. I've always been pretty honest with my staff. Um, I've always felt like I needed all the answers initially and in this transformative process, I think it's helped me realize that I don't need to be the one that has all the answers and that it's okay to be vulnerable and to share when you've made a mistake and to, um, to let them see where your struggles are and opening up in that way I think allowed for other people to recognize that they can make mistakes too, and that they're not going to be um, vilified for some of those things that are just normal, everyday blunders that happen but can be fixed. And so sharing with them my struggles where I didn't wanna listen or where I was struggling to get along with somebody or apparent conflict, knowing that I have those too, allowed them to recognize and come to terms with that it's okay that they have them, but now what are we going to do about it?
0: Yeah.
2: And so that I think is where the transformation of our building started to take place was, was sharing those stories of failure. And also then the successes that came from using some tools to overcome those
1: failures.
0: I, uh, I appreciate that question from Salam, you know, uh, and, as yes, that I was reminded of it, from my perspective, you know, just being—I don't know what you would call me in—in in this. I don't have much of a role in—in—in in, in, in the story there at Dallas, but a fly on the wall, right? As my role being a fly on the wall? There was there was a really transformative moment that I witnessed, and—and and this was just because it was my perspective of the limited, you know, interaction that I had. There's probably several more and more profound moments that you had as, as the principal and as the leader, but um, where this, this moment happened to get to Salam's question of where more buy-in happened and transformation started to, to kind of spread beyond just the one individual. And it was that, and you've heard me talk about this several times, just because I loved that, that day. Cause I, I could feel in the room, like the, you know, things were, things were coming together for all of you. Um, but when you invited me out, you know, you had you had gotten, you know, several leaders in the district kind of on on board with this idea of outward mindset and the Arbinger training and you had already done significant amount of training with your within your school around the outward mindset material. And again, for listeners, the pre the, the core of the outward mindset principle is, you know, gets down to how we see others, right? We either see people as people. Or we don't. We see them as people or as objects, and it's very, very strongly related to our rooted leadership framework of soil, um, and and so this idea of seeing people is what we're talking about when we keep mentioning this idea of outward mindset. But you guys had invited me out to that district meeting, and you were talking about outward mindset for a segment of the day of how are we going to do this and why and and one of the I think it was Shannon actually raised his hand and he was the one and he's you know he's an outward mindset fan, but he said why are we doing this? You know, like why, why do we need to be, we're trying to help kids graduate and we have all these other mandates. Why, why are we talking about outward mindset and doing this Arbinger training? And that's where there was this key moment, at least from my perspective, where we, we connected the dots of, well, what is your vision? And it was, you know, pretty cliche to school districts help. I don't remember what it was, but help kids graduate and be prepared for, you know, life after school, you know, something along those lines. and, uh, and so we used that and, and uh, you know, to go off this this question of why is outward mindset so important, we used just that. And we said, well, is it possible to do that and not see kids as people, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And the answer, you know, honestly, is no, we have, we have to see kids as people if we want to be successful at accomplishing that vision. And so um, that's kind of how we tied this this idea of the importance behind the outward mindset material, but then that's when you, you know, really in my memory of the day, you know, you started to talk about the promise. You said, well look, if if seeing kids as if if outward mindset means we're gonna see kids as people, then that vision isn't good enough. (laughs) And and I've heard you say before that you didn't even really know what the vision was before the whole vision. I mean it was you just didn't know what it was. Um and and so you said look if we're gonna actually take this seriously and see kids as people the vision isn't good enough, and that's when um, you know I, I I need at least I know for you and your school where you started to adopt this idea of the promise um, to know kids by name, you know, strength and need, which I think is is absolutely profound because you get down to the basics of what it means to, you know, in a school to see kids as people. We 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 should know their names, uh, all of their names, and we should know their their greatest strength and and their greatest need. And that's kind of where it all started. But that moment was a moment that I was able to witness that kind of answers Salam's question of how it started to go from just one or a handful of people and spread. And you can correct me if I'm wrong with that whole story, but I'll never forget that day because it was kind of this, you know, it was a transformative moment that I was able to just be a fly on the wall for.
2: Yeah. And I'll tell you, it it certainly was a day that led, it just springboarded forward because I think we left that day with some
1: friends
2: to not only train the entire administrative team, but we also um, got our school board on uh, a schedule where we began having work sessions. And it wasn't a two-day training for the board. It it really took a number of months um, doing a little bit here, a little bit there in a board work session. But we were able to complete that entire um, series of conversations. And what's been rewarding is that that's been a number of years ago, and yet the language has been unifying, and then we will still hear it come up in an all- district staff meeting or in a school board meeting where things are being referred to about um, about are we paying attention to those who are coming and sharing a, a concern and and does that concern matter to us? We might have a difference of opinion, and yet we can still treat people that are coming to us with concerns and challenges, um, with respect and in, in a way that values that need. And I think that's the beauty of this is that's free. That doesn't cost anything to do other than to genuinely listen and learn where people are, and and what those challenges that they're facing. And so many times people just need to feel like they're being heard. Even if they don't walk away with the result that they're looking for, If you can validate that concern and have it really truly matter. Um, that's communication. And that's a great opportunity to know that that's what our goal is when we are working with the public and working with our students and working with the challenges that come through education.
0: So when was it that you you know, the timeline was a little different between what the high school did and then the district kind of followed in terms of the, the vision. But, but was it just soon after that meeting that we just talked about that, that you as a high school changed your vision, kind of did away with the old vision and said, look, this is, our, this is the new vision we're going to deliver on the promise. So tell us about that. And then, you know, thereafter, how the, the whole district kind of followed suit and and, and adopted the the same vision.
2: Yeah, so I'd have to double check on on kind of an accurate uh, part of the time frame. But what I do know is that we began with a a voluntary book study during a school year. And then following that, um, we were able to give the entire staff the book Leadership and Self-Deception from Arbinger to have as a summer book reading. And then we came back that um, in-service in August. And every staff member from custodian, kitchen, um, cooks, to our administrators, teachers, so forth, everybody uh, received the two-day training um, at Dallas High School. And so we felt strongly that it wasn't something that we just did for teachers. It was something that we were going to have as an equal training for every person, which is, I think at the time was about 100, between 80 and 100 people that we did the training for. But the unifying factor is that we were able to have that common language of understanding about I am in the box today. Okay, what tool do I need to use or what might help me to to work with you when you're in that box? That is kind of that feeling that we knew. We could look at each other. We could have that little... That little uh, joking stare sometimes and like, okay, I know what I need to do. And, and realizing that I'm in the box is that first step of getting out. And it truly was the transformation for our building because we then were able to take that and, and have that lead to action.
1: You know, Steve, I, I think it's, it's really remarkable that you were able to train so many people at once and i think that that allows you to build that culture that can be sustained over time and you did something that is very much in alignment with the rooted leadership framework that chris alluded to and that is that's the notion of accountability and accountability starts with us you've talked repeatedly about you needing to change and wanting to change first before you expect others to do so what i'm curious about actually this is a two part question uh, one is, how do you sustain the momentum? So you've worked really hard to cultivate a culture to really build your soil, if you will. How does that get sustained over time? Because this work is very people-intensive work, if you will. And the second part that I'm really curious about is, how has your work in Dallas helped you and helped your school um, get through the pandemic. We're not quite through it yet, but there has been a lot to navigate. And we all know you can look at it through an inward or an outward uh, mindset. So uh, could you address both questions, please? Sure. And so, uh, real quick, I beginning- Steve, real quick. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Sorry, real quick. And Salam, those are two great questions. But I, um, Steve, if you could just share, because you mentioned kind of and this is just for listeners to really follow along with the impact that the promise had you mentioned you know where graduation rates were at kind of the state and that's just again that's just what's measurable but where did they end up after your implementation of this and and i think that'll help listeners lead into you know the significance in both those questions of the sustainability component of it and how has it navigated your you know what you've done through through the pandemic sorry to interrupt but i thought that finishing off like what happened as a result of doing this um, would be helpful before we dive into that.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really great point. I think the impact is equally important. Yeah. So I am proud to say
2: that before I give you the number, I'm proud to say that we know who each person is that did not graduate and we know why. And we also know what needs to be done in order to get them across the line. Um, in the event that we're able to kind of keep pulling them and and getting them to work to the, to the level that they need to be. That part's important. Um, But we were able to go from, I believe the 74% grad rate um, into the 84% grad rate. And I believe the numbers are coming out next week. Um, And I, we are scratching the, the low nineties or upper eighties. for Awesome. and that was with the understanding that march happened with the pandemic and we had seniors that were were not in the building from march until june and yet we were still able to get them across the finish line with knowing what they so i mean just number is well i just want i just want Congratulations!
0: yeah congrats i just wanted to make sure that that was that was highlighted in terms of because you mentioned you know before all of this you know low 70s and i know that there was huge strides you know in intangible ways that you can never measure or you know see and, and it's even hard to talk about because they were so intangible, but you did have this evidence of what you're doing and the culture that you've created and are trying to continue to create you know it actually it, it's working clearly, and so I yeah. thought that was really helpful context um, but. Well, and- Go
2: ahead. For those that uh, might be asking questions about action research and those kinds of things, that you know, maybe was there something else going on that we don't know? The answer is no. We peeled away other initiatives, and we did not add new things or programs or whatever. We just focused on people. Um, Our advisory group was the was the systemic change that we put in, where we could help focus on kids, and and that was the extent of it. So. Yeah, Uh, I think that's an important realization is that this was clearly what led to those results.
0: Yeah, and I love that. And you've actually led with that um, or mentioned it several times when, you know, back when we could gather with people, (laughs) you would come and speak to some of our groups that we'd we'd have for Outward Mindset and you would say, I didn't do anything else uh, but uh, Outward Mindset for the last, you know, year, two years, three years, whatever the timeline was. And, you know, here's what happened. And so I think that's an important piece as well, is that's all that you were focused on as a leader. um, And actually, as an organizational change process, that's what you were were doing. So that's, I think that's remarkable. And those are very noteworthy things. But back to Salam's questions about how have you sustained it? And then how has that led into guiding, you know, how you've navigated the pandemic?
2: I want to, I want to maybe give a shout out to uh, the gentleman who was in charge of that backwards bicycle example um, that kind of ran through YouTube, because before that was ever brought into some of the Arbinger trainings, I had shared that with our staff. And so every once in a while, you get dumb luck, stumble onto something. (laughs) And and so for an entire year, that was our goal, five minutes a day. What are we going to do to be outward five minutes a day? Mm -hmm. And And so that was our sustainment effort. Um, There wasn't a meeting that we didn't begin by using some sort of tool or ask ourselves the question, um, am I starting in the right way? Am I starting in an outward spot? Or what might this meeting look like if I am coming at it from an inward versus an outward perspective? Or this email that I'm sending or this parent conversation I'm getting ready to have, what might it look like if I come at it from an outward perspective? And so that was the goal. We didn't have any other initiative for um, professional development but to five minutes a day. And and that was our sustainment. And so as that kind of happened, I think we realized that there were some folks that might have tried to wait this out. And maybe <laughs> they tried to wait it out for a year. But I think, gosh, we're going on what year five now. Wait, this, wait this out. out. I like that. It. <laughs> It'll end soon enough. <laughs> But I think the reality is that um, there there are days where I have to wait out my own self, yeah. and because I'm inward and it's a struggle. And when that happens, it's still part of our sustainment to share that. And there are there are some times where I sit back and have little proud moments, and I I think it's okay to enjoy those. But when I hear a teacher come in as part of normal conversation and say. Hey, teacher X, would it be helpful if I, and they fill in the blank. What is that? That what I am hearing is the transformation of a building. Yeah. Because what they are really doing is offering something that they see as a need and they understand that it might not be helpful. And so they're asking because it matters to them what is in the other person's um, in their other life or what they're working on. So those are parts of the little tiny bits of information that let me know that we have really made a significant shift because, um, because people care about each other and they're aware of their impact on others by the work that they do. And to Salam's question about accountability, um, it, stuck, it stuck really, really strongly with me that it's not my job to hold people accountable but it is my job to develop people who hold themselves accountable mm. to the success of the organization. And how do I do that? By, by doing all I can to support them, to get them the resources that they need and then get out of their way and let them do it. Because that's really what is happening is that they teachers, classified staff, um, our kitchen, our custodians, they know that I trust them to do a great job and, and that they matter as much as everyone is a part of what it takes to get this building up and running. Um, from cleaning it during a pandemic, right, and getting things done in a new way. All of those things are important to the success of the organization. And I know that a custodian is as equally pleased when a student is walking across the stage of graduation because they know that their little teasing during the lunchtime is... Enough of a contact where we know about that student and it matters to the work that we do.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of nuggets in there. I want to first off just highlight the idea of the five minutes a day because for anybody listening, leaders listening, I mean, that's a, that's, it's, it's, I I don't want to say the word secret because it's really not a secret, but that is, it is the secret to um, sustainability, not just for outward mindset, but for anything that we do is are you actually giving it? Uh, The time. And I think that the video you're referring to, just as reference, um, I know his name. I think his name is Desmond, his first name. I can't remember his last name, but his YouTube channel is Smarter Every Day for anybody that's interested. It's called The Backwards Bicycle. Um, Great video, great example of concerted effort at something pays off. Uh, But, you know, again, the secret to any leader out there trying to undergo, you know, invoke transformational change. Um trying to make something happen if it's whether it's outward mindset or or something else it's that i to me it's that simple it's the five minutes a day now we say five minutes as a metaphor, but are you actually thinking about it every day and doing something about it because if something like outward mindset or with our leaders that we have in our leadership institute you know the the rooted framework or soil whatever it is, if all we're doing is thinking about it you know during trainings or uh during even if it's just during, you know, strategic thinking, then it's not it, it's not going to matter much unless we're doing it every day, thinking about it every day, making a concerted effort every day. So I I love that that's that was your response to the question of sustainability because that's really what it takes. Is what is your five minutes every day, and and I like that you said you know some probably were waiting it out, <laughs> so this this will end you know we'll have something else new in a year. Um, but you, you know, it's not the case. You you kept doing it, and it's certainly paid off. So, just want to sh- you know say that to leaders listening. You know, th- what is your five minutes a day for things that you want to see change? Because if it if all you do is talk about it and never practice it, it, it just won't happen. It's that simple. So, I appreciate you um, bringing that out. And then about your, you know, your custodians. I think when we were filming the the promise video you know, your, one of your custodians was she She actually, I think, knew most of the names in the school. It's probably, you know, uh, person for person, all kids are known by name through your advisory teams, right? Uh, yeah. But it's not like every teacher knows every single kid's name, right? There's too many. But the custodian, um, she knew probably the most names is what you told me. And, and just following her around for a couple of days, it was apparent to see to see that she knew so many kids by name, and they all respected her and knew her. So it's pretty cool.
1: Chris, I'm I'm gonna actually um, ask a question about innovation, if you will. So um, I really admire you for being so focused on one thing that, as you described it, is truly foundational. Again, it's what we would reference as doing the the soil work is cultivating the soil. Making sure that you have the right environment that helps people be successful, the organization be successful. and in in the case of education, most importantly, having helping our kids be successful. Uh, I'm curious as to how this was interpreted to some staff members or by some staff members. Does this mean you don't innovate? you don't you don't have new initiatives, you don't have um, new approaches to teaching and learning at Dallas High School? So could you describe a little bit about how the work that you have done around mindset uh, becomes really a mechanism for helping staff innovate and introduce new ideas and approaches that helped improve the outcome that you described, the graduation rate and and in many other ways as well. So sure. could you does that make sense? Yeah.. Okay. So I guess I would share this
2: as as being the direct Um, byproduct of knowing what the strengths and needs are of students. Um, As a teacher, I know of so many examples of teachers that are working with kids in, in ways that are different than the typical sit and get lecture style that used to be part of what school was. Um, Now there are approaches where a, a student is, is sharing experiences that they're, they're doing with work or, Um, with things within their home, and those are now being used as non-traditional ways for students to show mastery towards um, a specific standard. And teachers are able to take those and be creative. Um, I I think of one of our math teachers that went and worked on an externship program and was able to bring stuff back into the classroom, and tailor it specifically to some students who were not being successful in the, in the previous manner, but were able to connect because of that experience. And so it's not just about the way in which it was always done in the past. It's about looking for the new innovative ways to reach a student um, because that's one of their strengths or that's a need that they have is to access the material in a different way. And I think bringing that forward to our distance learning, um, I won't tell you that things are rosy and amazing because they're, it's a challenge. But the framework is still there for us to say, okay, this student's not engaging. Why are they not engaging? And our building is asking those questions. And so how can we then engage a student in distance learning um, when they haven't shown success. And so those are really the, the systemic challenges that still face us. But because we are doing that in an innovative way and opening up the classroom to just about anything um, that helps us to meet the needs of those kids. And it helps the teachers to be creative in a different way.
0: Um, Steve, uh, uh, you know, Salam's question About uh, innovation and what it's caused some of your teachers to to do, new ways of thinking, etc. Just it reminded me of some of the examples that you've shared. I remember, you know, back when you would often come out to some of our alumni uh, lunches. Alumni being meaning outward mindset, you know, alumni. Uh, You'd come to those lunches, and then we'd see at some of our events when you would come and kind of speak to the group. And every time you would see me or we talk on the phone, you would share like a new example of something, you know, those anecdotal stories of something that would happen um as a result of people striving to be, you know, outward and work in outward ways. And those stories were always uh, inspiring to me, but I just want to ask you now if, if there's any, you know, any any that have kind of gone down as as the as the, you know, the 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 legend in Dallas at this point you know, some of the legendary stories or some of the original stories of things that, that happened. I know there, you know, there's one teacher that had the, the, like an actual book where she would write down everybody's names and start to write down the needs that she would learn and write down the strengths that she would, she would learn about and all of her students. But stories like that, that you could share, whether they're fresh or, you know, from a couple of years ago, is, is there any on the top of your head that you, you'd be willing to share?
2: Well, I'll, I'll share one that's really generic, um, but is important. And that is that I could tell you right this very second um, where every student is with regards to um, their success in a particular classroom. Uh, we have uh, a, what we're going to call it is a watch list that is monitoring student progress for every course. And teachers are making little notes and, and saying where a strength is or where a struggle is. And, and so I know every single, like, I can just go right to the report and it is up to date um, for, for every single student in every single course. And that was done by teachers. It wasn't done because I asked for it. It was done because it was a need for the building. And teachers put that together. Um, the the other one I would share again is one of those real simple ones that um, is an individual that came into my office just today and said, "Hey, is there anything that I can do for you?" Um, and it took me a little bit off guard, and I looked around, and I'm like, "You know what? I I don't." But thank you for asking. And and all of those seem so so small. But they aren't. And what I sh- the reason why I share those simple ones is because it is indicative of a bigger picture culture. And it is that transformative shift that those things did not happen organically before, but they happen organically now. And um we have we have individuals who are calling and saying, can I drive this to a family? because they need this material and what ways can I serve this particular student? Um, It's just the way in which we do business now. And I think that part is what's really, really exciting.
0: Yeah. I I mean, just when we were filming that video, you know, talking with all the teachers and even the students here, I mean, that was really the, the the best part for me was hearing all those stories, and a lot of them didn't even make it into the video. Some of the stories that we heard, um, but, you know, stories about just like what you mentioned, where a teacher would would see a need, sometimes a really basic need, but go and purchase something out of their own, you know, you, you know, using their own own money because they know that a student needs it, uh, and then that actually became a a practice that. This is my memory of what teachers were telling us, but that became a practice of having having spare things around just because it became a constant thing that they learned and all they had to do was ask <laughs> they didn't you know basic need that that they didn't see before but they asked and and they found out oh here's some basic things that a lot of our students need that they're not not getting all the way to i think we spoke to two two students and these these ones really stuck out to me but two students that we interviewed that were both transfer students talked about the difference that they felt just being in a place like Dallas versus their previous school and their previous schools were were well performing high performing you know schools uh in different you know uh districts and different areas of the state but they said there's just a different and these were their own words there's just a different feeling when i'm here at Dallas and one of the girls said it's just it feels like people just really care here <laughs> and like you said that's such a simple concept but uh that's what she said. It feels like teachers actually care about me here. And this is and this is also what she said. I won't talk about what school she was talking about before, but she said at my other school they said that they cared about us. They would say that we were important. They would say they cared about the kids, but at Dallas they actually do it. <laughs> and I love that uh just hearing hearing that cuz it's again it's indicative like you said of a larger effort and larger culture there and and it's trickling down um to impacting the lives of of the one right of 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 even if it's one student so i know there's many more examples uh like that but with just a few minutes left i wanted to see if you could share a couple so i appreciate that um with our last few minutes i want to allow salam to have any closing questions or remarks but would love to hear um you know how the promise has impacted your perspective as a leader on the pandemic um, and all the curveballs we've been thrown over the last year, uh, and as well as your your school. I mean, how has something like the promise impacted how you see it and and what you've done because of it?
2: That question is that to me, Chris?
0: Yes. And then, you know, Salam too, I just love after Steve answers that, if you want to add any other thoughts or questions.
1: Yeah, this could perhaps be part of his answer too, is the transformative aspect of this. How has this transformed you to the leader that you are today? Perhaps you could do a little bit of reflection, Steve, on Steve, the leader, pre- Arbinger and outward mindset, and this transformation that has occurred at Dallas High School, and Steve, the the leader today.
2: Okay, sure. So let me first talk about the, the how has has this helped during the pandemic. Um, I will be the first one to tell you that that without it i i guarantee we would not be in near as good a shape as we are and that's not to say we are in great shape I mean, we have kids that are struggling it is not an ideal way to to teach kids in a distance learning environment we want them back and and we know we can serve them better in person but we have teachers who are caring about kids and doing what they can to reach out and continue to reach out and continue to reach out, even though they may not be getting a response in return, the the structure that we've been able to put in place has been supported because we care about kids and we know who they are and and we're looking as to um, the real reasons as to why they might not be engaging. So our framework that we have in place with our advisory groups and the outward mindset components really have given us all the tools that we need to adjust our efforts to be helpful. If we're, if we're trying to do things one way and it's not working, our staff automatically are going to adjust and do something different as an administrative team. We're going to adjust and do something different. And I think that part has been, um, really part of the fabric of what we do. And then to answer Salam's question about how has, has this process or in, um, this journey transformed me as a leader. I think that over the years, maybe when I first started in the ranks of being an administrator, I felt like I needed to have all the answers. I felt like I needed to, um, I, I felt like I needed to be seen as the person who had all the answers. And the reality is that what that gave me as an environment was a bunch of people that I don't think trusted me. And I don't think they thought I trusted them. And so we weren't unified in the ability to go forward and and tackle really tough things. But as, as I've been able to go forward, I think this process has allowed me to realize that my job isn't to know everything. My job is to provide the vision and to unify people towards the success of our organization and the work with Arbinger and the work with the Howard mindset has provided us the language. It has provided us the common experience and it has unified us collectively as an entire organization to rally around kids because we know them and they matter to us. And I think that has, what has been the transformation is that we've been able to hold each other accountable for the results. And we are willing to um, push back the pride and acknowledge when we don't know the answers and celebrate when somebody else does. And it's not about who gets what credit. It's about the success of the organization. And it's rewarding to see um, those positive things take
0: place. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great uh, closing statement there, Steve. Um, Really, uh, truly, it's... Uh I, I I I said this in the intro before you guys were on, but I've been looking forward to this episode for a couple months since we've had it planned, just because again, being able to be a fly on the wall throughout kind of this awesome transformation that that uh, you know your school has had um and being able to learn from your leadership uh over the past few years and and your your dedication uh to to doing this has been really inspiring. Um uh to say the least it's been very inspiring um because simple concepts applied every day you know, like you said five you know whatever your 5 minutes a day is um has absolutely had an impact on on uh, kids in your school and like you said the community uh, of uh, out there um your staff it certainly had an impact on me so it's been uh really really fun to to see the journey and and the you know, oftentimes when we when we close these, the, the I, I like to ask questions to the audience, and one big one that I would ask is, you know, Dallas' promise was to know kids by name, strength, and need, and and I ask, you know, leaders or non leaders listening, you know, what sort of promise uh, do you have in your place of work or in your family? I mean, of course, we know. Think about it, the, the most you know nuclear level in our families, we of course know their names but do we know their strengths and their greatest needs right now um it's a question that i need to always ask myself with my wife do i know her greatest need today um if i don't that ought to in- invite me to go and find out and the people that i work with uh, do i know their greatest strengths and their greatest needs um so a lot to learn from that idea of the promise um that's far beyond uh you know the walls of Dallas high school they can impact um all of us uh, all over so um I appreciate your your time today, Steve, uh, and your leadership. Um, and I value, I really do value our friendship. Um, Salam. Any, please share any final thoughts or um, uh, remarks that you have.
1: Well, I I really I appreciate that, Chris. And um, uh, as an educator, I've always been impressed with the journey that that you've been on and the work that you have done at Dallas High School and the fact that you were really mindful of wanting to have this reach as many people as you possibly can. And, and you're really an example of great leadership where um, you, weren't, you didn't wait for an invitation. You didn't want somebody to prompt you to do this. You, you saw an opportunity and you, you embraced it and real, realized the value that it has for you as a person, as a leader, but also for the community as a whole. And sometimes we really underestimate the impact of these opportunities that we afford our fellow, you know, colleagues, uh, staff members, even students in this case, we underestimate the ripple effect because we think that this is just the Dallas High School or the Dallas School District, but the Dallas School District is an integral part of the Dallas community. Mm -hmm. So your work, um, in my opinion, has really far reaching impacts and opportunities that whole community benefits from and not just what's happening at Dallas High School. So I commend you for that. And I thank you for your leadership as well.
0: Thank you very much. Well, uh, Steve, we'll, we'll, uh, wrap it up and I'll, I'll end with something that you've said I've heard on multiple occasions, but it's something that our, I think our world and our societies need, need to, to hear right now. But when you were asked, why did you do all of this, you know, uh, you said, well, because it's the right thing to do. (laughs) That was it because it's the right thing to do. And, um, and, you know, I leave that with everyone is we need to do more of the right thing. Um, every day because it's the right thing to do not because we're going to get something out of it or because we want to prove somebody wrong or because you know we're pointing fingers or there's a blame game going on but let's do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and i appreciate that about you steve um thank you for everyone uh tuning in always appreciate salam our co-host tuning in and his wisdom and insight and questions and most of all always appreciate our guests Steve today. Uh, Thank you. Can't thank you enough. And uh, all the listeners tuning in, appreciate you. And until next time, uh, this is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Take care and be safe.